Welcome to the Intended Blessing Podcast, hosted by William and Emma Lee Stanton. This podcast is intended to be a blessing to its viewers, as we focus on the blessings God intended in theology, marriages, and everyday life. We pray this podcast honors the Lord, edifies the saints, and causes some laughs along the way. So let's get to it. Welcome back to the Intended Blessing Podcast. We are just a week out of Christmas, and thankfully, it is finally starting to get cold here in Texas. I mean, I don't like the cold at all, and I don't like that my husband has to work in the cold, but it is nice to not have short and short sleeve shirt weather mm-hmm. just a few days before Christmas. Yeah, so. it wasn't feeling like Christmas for sure, but it should be... Nine degrees on Thursday. It's so crazy. Then next week it should get back up to 60 from what I heard. Um, I don't know. Texas is a lot different when it comes to the weather. But we're glad to finally ha- start having some cold weather so it feels like it's getting close to Christmas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's also going to be a different Christmas for us. I think we shared in the last podcast. Um that we just moved to Texas a few week no a few months ago. Um and this will actually be my first Christmas without my family. Um well, like my parents and some of my siblings. But praise the Lord, we're part of a really close knit church and mm-hmm. they will be celebrating the birth of our savior together well. They will be sure to celebrate it. So mm-hmm. Yeah, we have a church Christmas Eve service. Mm-hmm. Uh, Saturday night, and then we're also going to be having a uh, Sunday service after we open gifts and everything at home, and we'll go. And, or maybe uh, we'll open the gifts in the evening and just yeah, relax in the morning. Yeah. But yeah, so yeah, we're excited for this Christmas. I'm really excited to give Emma the things that I got for her. She already kind of knows what they are, but... I know all of them are, but I don't know the specifics. Yeah, she doesn't know full details of what it is but i'm really really excited for that mm-hmm. um yeah but, yeah do you want to um just kind of open up the topic of what we will be discussing today yeah so today we are going to be talking about the problems with purity culture um we're not going to be talking about every point or part of purity culture because um i was never really into that in Christianity and Christendom, the purity culture, but I've heard of it being a thing. And, um, when I was growing through sanctification and stuff, I went through certain programs that uh, helped, but, and I think it's, it was definitely what our culture needed, um, for a time with the sexual revolution that happened in France and, just the sexualization of America the in the cult, 60s. Yeah, the hippie movement. and um, So I definitely see it as being a need. But we're just going to talk about certain aspects to that. That um, they've just gone too far. And just not been clear to the gospel. And um, yeah, I've been kind of... More damaging than helpful. Yeah. Yeah, damning relationships as though there's nothing redeemable and... Um, things like that Mm -hmm. so yeah so this kind of originally came about for a topic for us because this past well I've seen a few things circling around social media recently I don't know over the last few months but then I watched a video on Instagram last week um, of this lady sharing how did she word it? She was talking about how once you've had sexual relations before marriage, you'll never be able to give that fullness to your spouse. Um, she was um, a woman who was sharing her testimony of how she lived a promiscuous lifestyle before meeting um, her now godly spouse. And once they got married, they went on their honeymoon. And as soon as they got back on their honeymoon, she shared this video with her followers explaining how she just felt like she could not give the fullness to her husband. She felt as though there was a part that she'll never give to him because that part is given away already. Um, She kind of had the mentality of, 
you'll always feel tied to that other person. She talked about even like the spiritual realm of it. Like it, she put weight, not just in the physical and the emotional, but also in the spiritual realm of, you know, once you've made that connection with somebody, that connection will never go away. And it was not sitting well with me. And I brought it to Will, my husband, and and shared it with him and just kind of asked his thoughts on it and... Yeah, do you kind of want to jump into... Oh, and I can also share now, like, some of the things my previous church used to say. Yeah. Yeah, let's just give the full... Like, everything that we've kind of heard. Because I haven't heard much with purity culture. I uh, There was this one guy at our Bible college that would wear um, t-shirts that said, Porn kills love and stuff. Yeah, I was and, really big into that in high school. Yeah, yeah, Emma was more big into that. But I'm all... Yeah, I'm, I was... You were kind of, like, just coming into Christianity more when that was kind of, like, dwindling out. Yeah, yeah, and I my I was growing in Christianity when I first went to Bible school and then after I got out. So, yeah, I, I haven't seen much of it. So, Emma knows a whole lot more about the background of this stuff than I do, but... Yeah, I remember my pastor at my previous church one time giving a sermon... And he was talking about how, and I mean, at that church, they also believe that if you were married and got divorced and then remarried, then you were always living in adultery. Um, Even if you say like you got divorced for like sexual abuse or physical abuse or something like that, and you divorced your abuser for that reason, you'd have to stay single for the rest of your life. So that's what they believe. So there's already some Mm -hmm. not good consistent theology with that but anyways one of the things that they would teach was that if you had any type of sexual relation before you got married and then once you got married even in purity say you know you were living without the lord you came to salvation the lord brought you to salvation and then you were living with your spouse in purity um they would say that in your marriage bed it will always feel like that other person is in the bed with you even if it was just like a one night stand, every single time you have sexual intimacy with your spouse, it will always feel like the other person is in the bed with you. And I guess I'll just share a little bit of my problem with that and then you can share why it's wrong. Yeah. Yeah, does that sound good? Okay. So my problem with that is that one, it's not consistent with scripture, which Will will share with us, but two, they're being manipulative. They are trying to scare young teens away from having poor decisions, away from living sexual lifestyles, and rather than speaking truth, and something Will pointed out to me a couple of days ago when we were discussing this, was they're trying to make these lies to people, and there is a sense where Will just shared with me a little bit ago that you can still lust after somebody after you know, say you're walking in purity, but that's not the same as like having the connection that they talk about in these videos and in the purity culture. But anyways, so, um, oh goodness, where was I going? You were just talking about how, oh, the um, manipulation. Yeah. The manipulation, but you were talking about how like, there's like, you'll always feel an emotional tie to someone or a spiritual tie or some sort of mystical connection between you and another person. I don't want to lose my train of thought. That's not where I was going. That's not where you're going? No, I was talking about the manipulation. Oh, uh, was it uh, when they find out that it was a lie? Yeah, so that was was kind of where I was going with that. So they are trying to take these teens, and I wish you guys could see my hands because I feel like I'm doing good hand movements to (laughs) help my point here. (laughs) They are very good hand movements. It would be very helpful if you could see her. (laughs) I'm like moving my hands all around the phone. (laughs) Anyways. um, Okay. So they are taking these manipulative tactics of trying to scare teens out of having, I'm going to, I'm going to stop trying to say like terms of like, you know, premarital intimacy. I'm just going to say sex because it's just easier. It's faster. I'm pretty sure only adults are listening to this. Um, They're trying to scare teens out of having premarital sex by telling them that it will scar them for life, and in a sense, all sin does, but let's just keep going with my point here. They are telling teens that if they have premarital sex, that it will scar them for life. They'll never, ever be connected with their one-day spouse. They will always have this connection with previous 
um, lustful lovers. And the problem with this is, one, they are not teaching teens to want to revere a holy God. That's the main problem. That's point number one. They are not teaching teens to stay away from sin because our God is holy and commands us to be holy. And if we love him, we will keep his commands. Mm-hmm. The second problem... Yeah, can I just yeah. clarify on that? Yeah, it's it's a fear tactic of if you love yourself, you won't do something that hurts mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. It's not if you love the Lord, you will honor him because he has told you what is right and just. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a fear tactic based upon the parameters. How much do you love yourself? If you love yourself yeah. enough, you will not have premarital sex. And that is not the way Jesus was asking people to repent. He was not saying, how much do you love yourself? He was saying, deny yourself, mm. come and die. You will not um, save yourself. If you try to save yourself, you will lose yourself. Or you will not gain me. I can't remember how I put it. Where's it go? No, no, you had the main gist of it. Yeah, he just talks about giving yourself up to the Lord. And this fear tactic is self-love. Yeah. And then the second point I was going to go into, which I'm glad you elaborated on that point, but the second point I was going to share is that the problem is when they find out that that's a lie, when, so, you could probably actually word this because you're the one who said it to me, and I'm just reiterating what you said, so why don't you just go ahead and share why it's a problem that's a lie? Oh, well, when they describe this mystical feeling of, like, when you are in bed with someone after you've already been in bed with another then it's going to feel like there's multiple people there and when they find out that that's not true um and it was preached to you as though it was the truth and it was doctrine and it was you were going to feel these mystical feelings um once someone sees that it was a lie and um just a fear-mongering tactic of the church to keep their people pure then it's only going to have them continue all the more. Mm-hmm. Like, my church lied to me about what this was going to feel like. It doesn't feel that way. It actually, um, sin is sweet to the mouth, though it goes down bitter. Um, mm. So, That's a good verse yeah, when they, when they do it and they find out their church is lying, um, what's to hold them back from doing it any longer? If it is just about not hurting yourself, yeah. then... When they do it and then they feel as though they enjoyed it, then what's to stop them to do it more? You know, if the if the aim is to not hurt yourself or please yourself, then some people like pumpkin pie, some people like premarital sex. So <laughs> why not just, you know, so it, mm-hmm. it's just it's destructive in many ways. It's destructive in a self-love as- or a perspective, mm-hmm. but then it's also destructive in setting false expectations that will not actually come true. Um, And there is aspects of this purity culture that, you know, are true. Like, it is true that, you know, as Paul, or Will's going (laughs) to get into sharing, that Paul shared that, you know, it is a sin against your body. So it does have a different level in that it is a difficult sin to have consistent victory in, or I don't know how you want to word it, but it's not a difficult sin for God. So I think that's something Will's going to get into is that this is a heavy sin and there is reason to have weight for it, but it is a weight on us, not a weight on God to redeem us. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's not difficult for the Lord to redeem someone who is, um, sinned, you know, there's no, the only unredeemable sin is blaspheming against the Holy Spirit. And there's many theologians that believe that to be apostasy. Those who trample on the blood of Christ, knowing him and rejecting him. And they say that is the greatest sin. Um, and you will not be forgiven for to blaspheme the Holy Spirit and um, turn away from the gift that has been offered to you. That's an unforgivable sin. But it doesn't say blaspheme against the Holy Spirit and premarital sex. Those are the two unforgivable Mm -hmm. sins. It just isn't worded like that anywhere. But where purity culture goes... And can I I say one more point? Yeah. Now I'm thinking about it. You know, purity culture, or in this area where they talk about, 
if you have sexual relations before marriage, you'll never be able to give yourself fully to your spouse. You know, they don't even exp- like they don't even emphasize why it would only be for premarital sex. You know, because if that is their logic that it's just because you've had sexual relations with somebody else, what would stop that line of thinking from like say there is a woman whose husband passed away and then she remarried? Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. that logic would be the same to where I mean, I guess you were already kind of talking about that and you're going to get into that. But I guess that kind of no, just clicked a little bit more now, mm-hmm. being that if it is just about being in a sexual relationship with somebody before you're now spouse, you know, that there is nothing there that has to do with the fact that it is done out of sin. It's just the fact that you had that act. Mm-hmm. And if that was so, then you're going to explain, like, God would not allow people in the New Testament to remarry, right. you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um yeah, we know someone that went to our Bible college who um, she got married young and within like a year or two, her husband passed away from cancer and she was crushed. She was broken. It was so hard on her. She cried about it when she told her story, Like, but then she remarried and the Lord blessed that. And it's not that she still had a part not able to give to her husband because the Lord um, that's just not the way it works, you know, mm-hmm. so they go too far, but the part that they talk about, um, and where they think that they have traction in making these claims is in first Corinthians six. Um, and I'll just read the whole context just so instead of just reading a couple verses, you can hear that I'm being clear and, um, honest to the text and be able mm-hmm. to explain it clearly. That's good. So um, it's kind of paragraphed in my ESV starting in verse 12, and then it goes through the rest of the chapter. Um, so it's these uh, nine verses. Nine verses? Yeah, nine verses. Um, he starts off, says, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Okay, so he's saying... All things are lawful, but not all are helpful. All are lawful, but you will not be dominated. And that goes into what he talks about after this. He says, food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. And God will destroy one and the other. And then he goes on to, so he's saying right here, food is meant for the stomach, stomach for the food, but God will destroy both of them. But then he says, the body is not meant for sexual morality. So the reason he talks about the body not being meant for sexual morality and the reason he talks about food previous to that is because many people will say that food is... Food is um, a need for someone's body. And what many people today will say is that sexual relations are a need to the body. And it very so much is in marriage and is permissible and good in marriage. So they will say that um, the the wicked will say that sexual morality is needed. But it says the body is not meant for sexual morality, but for the Lord. So your body is meant for the Lord. Whether you are um, wicked or regenerate, you were not made for your own sake. You were made for the Lord. Uh, we are images of Christ, or images of the Lord, and um, that is what the body is meant for. It is not meant for sexual morality. And then he says, but th- the body is not meant for sexual morality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And so he talks about food and stomach. Those will both be destroyed. But then he says the Lord and the body, and par- uh, contrast that with how the Lord will not be destroyed and neither will the body because then it says after in verse 14, God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. So the body will be raised up and it will be eternal and it will not be destroyed. Food and stomach will be destroyed, but your body and the Lord will not. So he's talking about the weight of the body and the body doing things that are helpful and not being dominated by anything. And sexual morality is something that many people are dominated by. Um, 
So then he goes on and he says, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? And he's talking about this being the church because only the church is the body of Christ. And he's talking about all the collective body of the church are members of Christ. And then he says, shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. So he's saying that if you're regenerate and if you were in the church, you should not take your body and make it one with a prostitute. There is just never a time that is okay. Um, and then he goes on, he says, or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? So this is where they get the traction, where they think that being joined with a prostitute um, makes you eternally or at least for the rest of your breathing life, one flesh with her. Um, but he, that one, that that is explained because of sexual relations is the covenant seal of a marriage. Um, you have a covenant and you sign the dotted line through sexual relations. So a man cannot have sexual relations with a prostitute and not become in covenant with her. Um, and it is wrong for a man to become one flesh and have covenant with a prostitute. And then he goes on to clarify, talking about the marriage testimony, or the, the marriage uh, verses where it says, for as it is written, the two will become one flesh, which is in Genesis chapter two. Um, and then he says, after that, but he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. So he's saying, we can be one flesh with our spouse. We can be wrongfully one flesh with a prostitute. But if we are regenerate and if we are saved, we have become one spirit with the Lord. And then he says, flee from sexual morality. Every other sin a person commits outside the body, but the sexual moral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You were not your own, you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. So nowhere in this context does it say anything about this being an unforgivable sin, being something that you cannot be um, redeemed and repent from. If Paul was writing to a crowd of people um, that needed instruction for not becoming one flesh with um, prostitutes, he would have told them that this is an unrepentable, this is an unforgivable sin, something that they cannot um, ever be redeemed from. But the whole parts about marriage... And the whole part's about becoming one flesh. If we go, um, it's in Matthew chapter 5. And uh, I think it's in Matthew 10. But, so yeah, I'll start in Matthew 10. But he's saying, what God has joined together, let man not separate. And that's when he's talking about marriage. When God brings people together by providence and his sovereignty and aligns two different people together in the covenant of marriage, it says that he joins them together. God does not unite people and join them together in covenant for a prostitute. You would not be able to marry a prostitute for a one night stand and move on and think that the Lord um, would bless it. The Lord would not bless a one night stand with a prostitute and he would not join, um, you together as covenant. But then Jesus also says when he was asked about, um, divorce by the Pharisees, um, Jesus says, whoever divorces his wife, except on the grounds of pornea, which is sexual morality, makes her an adulteress. So if you are a believer and you have pornea, if you have sexual 
immorality relations with a woman, those are grounds for a divorce, which means those are not grounds for a consummated marriage. Those are not grounds for the Lord to bring two people together and let man not separate the man and the prostitute. That is not grounds for a sanctified marriage that God has, when God was speaking to Adam and Eve in Genesis 2, he was saying, the two shall become one flesh. He was not talking about how um, they would be stuck together and would not would be inseparable. Um, and we can clearly see this when we t- look at the um, different passages of forgiveness of sins. Yeah, that's what I was about to ask you, if you could elaborate on. So you explained how it, you do become one flesh with um, the prostitute, and you explained how in divorce you are no longer one flesh so when you you know leave that prostitute and become joined with um your spouse in a godly manner you know that 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 covenant is gone with a prostitute mm-hmm. but can you yeah can you elaborate on why that feeling of because that's the main thing with purity culture is that you have that connectedness of one flesh you have that feeling of one flesh you have that um that it feels like you're tied to them. Can you explain why that is not... Um, why you're no longer tied to them? Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. Can you explain biblically why why they're wrong in that? Mm-hmm. So it says in 1 John 1, 9, which is a verse that we should all memorize, it says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness not most unrighteousness or the unrighteousness that is done outside of the body he has not said that he would only purge us of sins that were done in um like smaller matters but all matters there has been men who were murderers and have been redeemed um King David was united with someone else's wife and he was redeemed in the end of his life. Um, like there, there is no, this, this verse just really encapsulates the whole thing. I mean, I have many other verses about the Lord's forgiveness for, um, people, but this one just really hits the nail directly on the head. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So there's no unrighteousness remaining if we confess our sins. If a man were to be with a prostitute and repent, it it says all unrighteousness, and that would be an unrighteous act. And it says that he is faithful to do it. It's he's not slack. He's not, um, you know, unfaithful. He isn't. He's trustworthy to forgive us of all things and all unrighteousness. And there's many other verses where he talks about the Lord's forgiveness. He says in Isaiah forty three twenty five, "I even I am He who blots out your transgressions mm-hmm. for My own sake." And remembers your sins no more. So the Lord forgives us our sins for his own sake. Because he is holy and just. And if it were not for redemption, if it was not for forgiveness, the Lord would not be able to be near us. To be next to something so holy and perfect would kill us. And he wouldn't want to be around us. He's not going to bring us to heaven with our sins attached. Mm-hmm. Um, it also says that we will not be um, given into marriage in heaven. And we're not going to carry those things to heaven. So why would we expect to carry those into our marriages? Um, when we've been redeemed. When we've been redeemed. When we've 
repented. Um, there's many people with sexual morality who have been taken advantage of. And I don't know this person on Instagram and her honeymoon, but it's a very sad thing for her to think that she can't be one with her husband mm -hmm. because of poor choices in the past. It's to think you could never be charitable because you stole in the past. Mm -hmm. To think that you could never love because you've killed. The Lord does not separate people, especially when they've asked forgiveness. For the wicked will be separated, and the wicked will be torn down, and the wicked will be judged for their sexual morality, because they have not repented. They are guilty of all unrighteousness. There is no unrighteousness of theirs will not be guilty. Um, they will stand in accordance to what they have done, and the Lord will justly give them what they deserve but when it comes to the redeemed and the elect those who God has foreknown and predestinated to be his children his heirs of the kingdom there will not be separate sections in heaven for those who committed sexual morality and those who did not they're not going to be separated by these people get crowns these people don't Especially because of the passage where it says if you've committed, a, um, if you've lost after someone in your heart, you've committed adultery. Mm -hmm. So in God's eyes, they are the same. And there is not one, one living, breathing person who has hit the age of puberty that has not had a lustful thought. Mm -hmm. You know, there is not one person on this earth who has ever done that. Mm -hmm. So there would be nobody in the side of not committing sexual immorality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then in Second Corinthians five seventeen it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation mm -hmm. has come. Mm -hmm. The old is gone, the new is here. I don't know which translation that one is in, but it sounds um, like the NIV. Sounds like the NIV. But yeah, the old is gone, the old is dead. Um I think it's in Romans where it talks about you have died to sin, you have died to your old self, and you are now alive in Christ. Um, I'm pretty sure it talks about how believers die once and they die to their sin. Hmm. It says that we have been baptized into his death and raised to life with him. Um, and if you have been baptized into his death, there, there isn't anything remaining. You cannot be a new creation and um, still have your same sins from the past still upon you. Mm -hmm. He says in Psalms 103:12, As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. That is a solid verse for them saying you will always carry it into your marriage. Mm -hmm. so no, if God has forgiven you, it is as far away from your marriage. As it uses from the West. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I would think that it would be absolutely true if someone did not repent, if someone yeah. did not ask forgiveness, then yes, they are carrying in a lot of baggage. Or if they're in habitual sin, like yes, you are carrying in a habitual sin and that will cause pain. Yeah, um, or how we talked about before, you know, you could still lust after that person, even after you're in a new relationship and... um like that would definitely bring that person into the marriage bed, you know, mm -hmm. but kind of what you're explaining before lust is different from a connection. People take that, um, that feeling and probably even do it to, to excuse it of, well, I'm just connected to that previous person I was with. Mm -hmm. It's like, no, you are continuing to allow yourself to dwell on that. You are choosing to not believe in God's redemptive work on the cross Mm -hmm. And you are allowing yourself to be connected to another. Yeah. And that is wrong. It is wrong for you to go to your honeymoon and accept and believe and be okay with, I'm still reserved for another. Yeah. I still have something left for another. Mm -hmm. That is wrong before the Lord to think that way. If you If you have repented. If they had not repented, then yes, they are going into a marriage bed sinfully. Mm -hmm. Um, but if they have repented and they have asked forgiveness, 
then they are holding on to something and not giving their whole to their husband. Um, it's wrong. Or a wife. Or a wife, you know. Um, yeah, we just keep saying that analogy because that was the lady who was speaking in the video and we just keep referring to that. Yeah, I don't know who this lady was, but... I don't know her personally either, but I've been seeing her video get shared a bunch. Yeah. Um, another verse where it talks about it, because it talks about it many different ways in how the Lord um, removes our sin. But in this one, in Isaiah thirty-eight seventeen, King Hezekiah is speaking to God, and he says, You have cast all my sins behind your back. Hmm. The Lord is not a man... Um, and it is wrong for you to think that the Lord is like us. So the Lord, the creator of the entire cosmos, all of the planets, the entire universe, if he were to throw something behind his back, that would be quite the distance. It would not be mm-hmm. um, over our back. We are made of the dust of the earth. We are made, mm-hmm. um, yeah, out of mud and redeemed into life. Um, we were born in sin and we have put on the foundation and the love of Christ that is built on a foundation of sapphire, something that does not rust, something Hmm. that is not unstable, but eternally stable. Um, so yeah, when God says that he cast it behind his back, it means that he disregards it. He does not see it any longer he removes it all together um there's just no lingering sins and if we're to say that these aren't sins then um that you're somehow continually married to multiple people um even with the lady at the well the samaritan lady he says jesus doesn't say you are married to i can't remember how many previous husbands. I think she had three and then the one she was with so that was four total. Yeah. Or the one you are with now is not your husband. Yeah. He doesn't say you have four husbands. Mm-hmm. He said you had three husbands and the one you are with now is not your husband. Um, but if sexual immorality made you husband and wife then he would have said you have four husbands right now and I know mm-hmm. that about you. And no one else would know that because only God would know who she had relations with Mm. um but none of our sins are unnoticed by the lord the lord is present at all times Mm -hmm. it says that he is not far from any of us um so the lord would be able to clearly say you have four husbands right now but he does not he says that none of them are husbands Mm -hmm. um and she had previous husbands so that's another place where it just it doesn't carry over like they think it does Mm -hmm. um it is a serious matter yeah and the members of christ should never be united with a prostitute or any adulterous relationship in any degree it is i don't even think we should use prostitute because then people think well it's not a one-night stand it's my boyfriend (laughs) right yeah a boyfriend a co-worker any person that is not your husband or wife under god right Right, yeah, that's just, that is not the members of Christ. It is, um, i trying to think of the word. It's defiling the temple, you know, like the temple is our bodies of the Holy Spirit. It says at the end of the verses in um, First Corinthians, where I was reading, First Corinthians 6. Yeah, First Corinthians 6. Um, yeah, it's a defilement of the Holy Spirit temple it's a defilement to the body that houses the holy spirit it it should never be but Um, again it's a weighty thing and it it is a defilement because it is against a holy god and mm -hmm. god has called our body the holy temple like that is why it is such a travesty that is why it is such a heavy sin is because it is against a holy god who has said that our bodies are his temple Mm-hmm. It is not such a terrible thing because it's going to affect us in our marriage. Mm-hmm. That is a consequence for sure, but that is not the reason why it is so wrong. Every single sin against the Lord is does have consequences to our lives. 
it does make things rough, but that is mm-hmm. not the reason or purpose that we should refrain from sin. Mm-hmm. Um, if it was for us, um, then it wouldn't have any, it would, it would be but filthy rags, the Lord says. Mm-hmm. Anything not done in faith, anything done for your own boasting, for your own well-being, it would be of dirty rags to abstain. Um, yeah. Did you have any other verses you were going to share? Yeah, I just had one more. Okay. Um, so it's the New Covenant passages in Jeremiah 31. Um, and it's talking about those who are in the New Covenant, those who are believers. It was prophesied about the old te- in the Old Testament about the coming Redeemer, um, the sacrifice that he would bear, and how the church would be in the New Covenant. It says, No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, for the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. And that's where he's talking about his believers, his elect, the ones that are heirs of his kingdom. He says that they will all know him, from the least to the greatest. It is no longer just Israel, and some people know about him, and some people don't. No, it's the universal church. Um, and then he says, For I will forgive their wickedness, and will remember their sins no more. So the Lord purposely is to forget something. The Lord doesn't have a small memory. The Lord is... The Alpha and Omega. He's the creator of all. It says a sparrow does not fall from the sky without his knowledge. And he knows the hairs on our heads and how much more does he care for us. And he says that he will purposely choose to remember our sins no more. Mm -hmm. His grace and mercy are sufficient. Our sins are not irredeemable. There is definitely a reason to be um, talking about purity and Mm -hmm. going against these things, but we shouldn't go too far. To go too far is to thwart the gospel and what it means to be saved. I don't think... I wouldn't say thwart because it means stop. You know, we can't do anything to stop the gospel, but it does portray a false gospel. Okay, I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't stop the pronouncement of the gospel, but it misleads people to um, believe a different gospel than what the truly good news is. Yeah, yeah. Believe a different gospel that Christ's blood isn't sufficient to save you from all sin, and that your body is. Yeah, it's more about your body is. And I don't want to go into this too much, um, because this will be a whole another topic that we'll have to like really explain into. But I think a lot of this is also coming from a works-based salvation. It's when people have left the the understanding of God purchased us, God calls us, God elects us, which are all terminologies that are used in Scripture. And when people start thinking it's by the way I earn my salvation, it's by the way that I um, uh, keep myself pure keep myself pure it's um, access sanctification you know that's where I think it this obviously comes down to a correct theology of forgiveness but it also comes down to a correct theology of sanctification it is not our doing it is the Lord's mm-hmm. yeah he is faithful and just to forgive us of all unrighteousness mm-hmm and we have unity and love and peace in the blood of Christ. For we have been set apart for his good purposes. We are no longer dead in our sins, but we are now slaves to righteousness. With good works prepared for us. Mm-hmm. What were you going to say? Um, I was just going to say, so so we can start wrapping up here, because we're kind of reaching close to our time limit. Mm-hmm. Um. I was going to, so I have, so as you were speaking, and I thought you did a really good job breaking down those verses, and I'm really glad you did that, because I feel as though you explained them better than I would have, Um, but can you please give um, advice 
to uh, make it for a man or a woman who has had sexual relations in the past. Um, Because I was thinking as you're talking of some advice I would want to give for people who are married to somebody with past sexual relations. So I had an idea of some advice I wanted to give her there. But in the opposite spectrum, could you just share a little practical advice for someone who has had past sexual relations for how to um, be transformed by the renewing of your mind to um, believe the truth? Do you have any thoughts or do you want me just to... Yeah, no, I do. Um, yeah, so advice for um, not no longer acting upon lustful thoughts or um, having lustful thoughts. A good thing that many people don't consider is that our thoughts are sinful. When it comes to a lustful thought, it is not only sinful when you act upon it, but it is it is sinful when you um, think about it. Um, Jesus says that even those who lust in their heart commit adultery, and it is the same. So to recognize that even your thoughts are adulterous, and even your thoughts you are to repent of, that is what repentance means. It means to change your mind. It means to um, think differently about a thing. So um, if you want to repent from sexual morality, you need to change your mind. You need to be asking the Lord for forgiveness when thoughts come. You need to be on guard when it comes to any lustful thoughts. And there's many different... um, did you want me to talk about that example? No. Okay, that's what you want to talk about. Um, an example that I was thinking about was um, the best way that I've ever seen it put for being on guard against sexual Wait, lustful thoughts. No, I'm not. Oh. Is um, in C.S. Lewis's book, The Great Divorce. And it's mm. this um, book about those people who were in hell or those who have just died go to heaven. Um, and they're like walking around and talking to old people that have passed away and different angelic beings and stuff. And it's a short book. And it's just a bunch of different topics. It has a mother who loves her child more than she loves the Lord. It has a skeptical theologian. All sorts of different conversations that happen in this book. But one of them, there is a man who gets to heaven who has a red lizard on his shoulder. And the red lizard is lust and an angelic being comes up to the man and says um i really think it just if anybody's really curious about this i think it's wonderful i've listened to it a couple times but i I wouldn't be able to do it justice but i'll I'll try and explain the best of my ability um the angel says you have something on your shoulder um can i kill it and he's saying that he wants to kill the lust on man's shoulder. And the man says, Oh, no, I, I, I loathe this lizard on my shoulder, lust, and um, I don't like it, but I don't think today is quite the day to kill it. I think we should... I, I don't like it, but maybe um, I could come back a different time and you could kill it. And the angel says, There isn't another time. Either I kill it now or it won't go away. And the man just argues with the angel saying, no, you don't have to kill it. I I don't think you should. I, I don't enjoy being there, but um, I'm not ready for it to go. Maybe just a little bit later. And that's what um, can be most beneficial when it comes to lustful thoughts. We need to be killing it every time that it arises. Any time mm-hmm. that that little... Um, a thought comes into your mind, you need to kill it. There is no playing or keeping it there for a while or trying to leave it unnoticed. Um, you need to kill it as soon as you're here? able. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of women get caught up in this idea that women don't struggle with lust. Men do. And I, th- you know, I think for the women who know that they struggle with actual physical lust can listen to everything that Will is saying. But I also want to point out to the woman here who have had past relations and they're thinking, well, I'm not thinking of his body, but it is a lust if you are thinking of the way he made you feel. 
Mm-hmm. If you are thinking of that, that is a lizard on your shoulder that you need to kill daily. That is lust for a woman. And yes, women can lust physically with their eyes and think and dwell on a man's body. But more often than not, women are lusting for the way that they feel. Mm-hmm. And um, and that is the same. So that I just want to group that together into what you're saying so women can understand the severity and understand that that is also something that needs to be killed daily. So anytime you think of a memory or anytime you think of um, how that person made you feel or how that person could make you feel now, um, that is something that needs to die. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you need to be on guard and ready to kill and be offensive against any sort of thoughts of lustful mm-hmm. intent um, and be ready to destroy it. Um, God, Jesus talks about just radically amputating. If something causes you to mm-hmm. sin, just cutting it right off. Yeah. Um, and that doesn't mean to be overly sensitive, but it means to just give no quarter for the enemy. There'd be mm-hmm. no grounds where it is acceptable for the enemy to dwell in your mind. You should renew your mind, repent in your mind, and destroy all things that put themselves up against your Lord and Creator. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it's your turn. Okay, so um, something I wanted to share for um, spouses who's, so for husbands or wives whose other spouses had past sex relations and maybe you haven't, um, so you don't know kind of how to think about um, your spouse, you don't know how to process it, you, you know, all of that such thinking this um for those of you who have listened to lord of the rings before or read it um it's not in the movie so if you've watched them that doesn't really count and honey if i completely butcher the story you can help me out but i'm just going to kind of go through the basics okay because it's been a long time since i've read it but i know you've listened to it a few times recently um but the best way i've found it encouraging and i mean we've shared another podcast that you have a different background than me so it's not yeah like a but so something that i found encouraging for me when thinking in this realm is when frodo and his friends go to tom bombadil's house and frodo and tom bombadil are talking and tom asks to see the ring and frodo gives the ring and obviously there's a lot more that goes into the story but just again sharing the root of the basics so i can share my point um, Frodo hands the ring to Tom and Tom just kind of looks at it. He puts it on. Nothing happens to him. Um, and I'm sorry for those of you who don't know anything of Lord of the Rings, you're probably really lost. It's this magical ring that everyone on Middle Earth in this book is dying for and killing for and trying to have. And, um, anybody is trying to steal it. You know, it's, it's the object of everyone's attention is this magical ring and Tom puts it on and he takes he's supposed to disappear and he doesn't disappear and he takes it off and he throws it up in the air and catches it and laughs, you know. He just he's treating the ring very nonchalantly and everyone is standing in a maze. And he just kind of acts like it's this little thing, this little trinket and then gives it back. And that was the best advice that I've heard was treat lust like that. And when I think of my husband struggling with lust, um, you know, we are all being sanctified daily. But when I think about him struggling for lust, it's easy for a spouse to take that personally. Like, well, he's struggling with that, so something's wrong with that. Something's wrong with me, or he's taking it, per- or he's making it personal against me. Or if I were to think about his past, and I'd be buying into these lies of the purity culture and being like, well, he's carrying stuff into our marriage, or these things, you know, stuff like that. But that's focusing more and making it this big sin than is bigger than God sees it. It, you know, God sees all sin as a level playing field before him, obviously other than blasphemy, which is what we had already talked about, but it is just sin. And yes, we take it seriously, but there is that we've already talked about how it's a serious sin. So I'm not going to keep, you know, contradicting myself like, well, it's serious, but don't take it seriously. So I'm just Mm going to talk about, um, to the spouses who, have a um who have not had relations before but are married to somebody who has treat it as such treat it as just a little trinket treat it lightly treat it um obviously you know as if you're recently married and you just heard of these things there is a time of mourning that is okay 
but not mourning as in like, oh, this is happening right now. You know, it's, it's not. Treat it like this little ring of, what's the big deal? It's a sin. I have sins in my heart. He has sins in his heart or her, or she has sins in her, her heart. We all are sinful creatures. We are all going to continue to sin until the day we die and are taken up to heaven. Mm-hmm. So we need to treat these things like that little ring, just throwing it up in the air and be like, what is the big deal over all of this? You know, we need to love our spouse enough to seek their good, to not bring these things continually to remembrance. We need to love our God and honor him enough to treat his redemptive work on the cross as fulfilled as he has said it is. He said it is finished. We need to believe it and we need to honor God in believing it. Mm-hmm. I think that's kind of all my thoughts on this topic and we're kind of short in time anyway. So. Yeah, yeah. Just so it's clear, I completely agree with everything that you said um, entirely. But Emma is still serious when it comes to the sin. She doesn't pretend as though it never happened. You know, she still loves me as her brother in Christ and wants me to repent. Um, of of current Like, I don't expect you to be repenting daily for the past. No, no, no. I'm... There is no, yeah, ongoing yeah. sin that I'm just always attached to. But any current sins, like, she wants me to repent. She takes it seriously. She says, yes, that was wrong. But to over be sensitive or to overdwell on it. Um, or to take it personally. Or take it or personally. Or really try and get into his brain of, like, well, why did you do it? How far? You know, you know stuff like that mm-hmm. is just that's when you start to make it this big thing and that's when you begin to kind of idolize it rather than just treating it like a little trinket not treating it like a trinket of like it's no big deal yeah no no it is sin and i do love him as my brother enough to point out those sins and to um remind him of repentance but to not take it personally Mm -hmm. yeah the way emma has responded is i forgive you and now i want to see you repent so start doing something different start repenting Not that I'm always like that like this is a growing process just as like how will needs to be sanctified and oh yeah he's growing i need a lot of sanctification too because but i she definitely has, have a lot of times where i struggle she has grown and she has done well in this area as of recently and um yeah it's i forgive you and now let's repent and i'll walk through walk you through this you know um and that's been the best thing for us to be able to view it correctly and um, let Christ do what he came to do. He came to sanctify us for his good namesake. And, and I think this goes back to also the point where you shared earlier of, you know, that this is a sin against God and that's why it's such a travesty not because it is a sin against ourself and i think for so i'm just going to kind of speak to wives right now rather than trying to say spouse versus spouse it's just getting confusing so just take run with my analogy here of say that there is like for a wife and her husband um sins in the area of lust and uh, i'm not talking about going out and having sex with a prostitute i'm just talking about you know there are other ways to sin with lust Say that a wife has a husband who sins with lust, and she can either focus on God and say, he sinned against God, and by sinning against God, he has sinned against me. Or there is the temptation to think, well, he has sinned against me. He also sinned against God, but he sinned against me. And, you know, Psalms 51, he sa- or the writer says that against you and you alone have I sinned, O Lord. Mm-hmm. And, yes, because we are one flesh... I can't, there, there can be, um, it is okay to feel hurt. It is okay to mourn over that. But we, if we take it personally, then that shows that we are selfish. It shows that it was against us. We are offended. We are hurt rather than, again, focusing on God, focusing on this is against a holy God. I am not holy. You know, this is against a holy God. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's something that's helped me a lot recently of not that these things are happening all the time. I know. Um, yeah. But, and just my thoughts and just remembering that this is about God. This is about 
us being made into his likeness and not about my ease and pleasure mm-hmm. yeah that's a really good way of wrapping it up yeah i did not think we were going to make it the whole hour i was like man we're 20 minutes in i don't know what we're going to say <laughs> <laughs> yeah but well thank you guys for listening and we hope it is a blessing and encourages you guys this has been something me and emma have grown through and we're very glad and happy to show uh to share okay <laughs> <laughs> right, um yeah thanks again guys mm. oh Gra- yeah uh, okay bye <laughs> grace and peace <laughs> what happened